Welcome to another episode of Shane Barker's Marketing Madness Podcast. In this episode, we'll be talking about entrepreneurship and business health assessment. My guest, Ryan Hanley, is the CEO of Metabolic, a fitness studio with six locations spread across the upper New York. Ryan is also the president of Hanley Media Group, a content strategy firm that helps brands grow their audience. He's the author of Content Warfare, a book that he likes to call a work in defiance of mediocrity content marketing. Why don't you, for the audience, maybe if some of the people don't know who you are, why don't you tell us a little bit, like, where did you grow up? Like, where, where are you at currently, actually? So I, uh, I'm currently coming to you from Colony, New York, which is just outside Albany, so upstate New York. Born, bred, raised, spent most of my life in this area with a brief stint, um, went to school at the University of Rochester, and then spent five years in D.C. working for an accounting firm, and then another year, well, we'll call it two years in New York City, uh, working in finance. And, um, you know, I've had a meandering career, which has led me to this point. It's a, uh, I would not, I don't know that anyone could take my career path and pull out any, uh, any nuggets outside of you don't really know <laughs> unless you do. Um, but yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm in uh, upstate New York. Nice. And then, and so you, and you pretty much have stayed kind of like in the same area for a long time. So it's like, you just kind of well, that's what happens when you get married and have kids and your wife owns a business. You tend to stay where she is. Uh, so my wife owns, uh, with her family, owns an independent insurance agency. So she's a small business owner um, right here in the Albany area. Uh, father has owned the firm for, geez, probably going on, going on 50 years. I want to say it's between 45 and 50 years. And she's been um, an owner in that business for five plus years. So she's buying her way in um, slowly but surely. Um, that keeps us anchored to this area, which is perfectly fine because this is a nice place to live. And yeah. um, I have had multiple jobs during that time, one of which was actually working for uh, the Murray Group Insurance Services, the name of her agency. So I'd say I really became a professional um, selling insurance, boots on the ground, salesman, um, kind of the cliche, you know, the, the white shirt and the black suit with the tie and the briefcase, although I didn't carry a briefcase, um, kind of pounding the streets, selling insurance. Uh, that's really where I became a professional. I had jobs before that, but it wasn't until I worked for my father-in-law that I really learned what it mean, learned what it meant to be a professional, what it meant to sell, and, and not in the kind of hokey, um, you know, three tactics to do this or say this at this moment kind of sales, but true relational value added sales, how you create relationships, not for this year, but for the next 20 years. And um, that had that experience of having to kind of keep what I kill, even though I worked with my father-in-law, I wasn't really handed anything. It kind of, you know, I was a, just an employee like anyone else. And um, that, that experience really turned me into the professional that I am today. Yeah, I'll tell you, man, insurance is a grind, right? I mean, that really is. It's <sighs> like you talk about, I mean, that's, it's so funny. People talk about the insurance. And, you know, I getting out of college, I got quite a few, you know, different state. There was a few of them that came and said, hey, oh, hey, you want to get into insurance? And I knew that that would have been hard. But I'll tell you what's interesting about it is like insurance, if you grind it out for five plus years, you know, the residual side of things, there's some good money there, right? I mean, there absolutely is. But you absolutely will become a beast at sales. Like there's no, I mean, there's no, I mean, every day it's a numbers game, right? That's what they tell you. It's like, Hey, how many calls can you make? How many hands can you shake? And it really becomes one of those things. I think, I mean, it sounds like that's really what turned you into what you are today, right? That was a, a pivotal point of like, Hey, like, guess what? Well, that sucks that you had 948 no's. Cause guess what? It means you're sneaking up on a yes. 
Yeah. Right. What's interesting about the insurance industry, particularly the property casualty insurance world, which is the the part that I worked in, there's also life insurance. That's kind of a different game, although we did yeah. sell life too. Life is very much a one-time sale, even though you can sell multiple times to the same person. It is in essence a one-time sale where with property casualty, it's all about residuals. So what what what's interesting to me and what I learned in that experience is um, investments is sexy. Working for Northwestern Mutual or any real investment firm, nothing against them. It's a perfectly fine way to make a career. It's super sexy. I mean, you got your Series 6 and all this Series 7 and, and you're looking at the stock market and your office has one of those ticker tape things and you're talking about stocks and, you know, and, and that's super cool, except um, that, that work is just as hard, except unless you're on, you know, until you hit a certain, a certain precipice of success, you, you are, you are grinding. And so many people just get chomped up and thrown out where the, in the, in the property casualty insurance world, there's nothing sexy about it at all. Literally nothing. I was, I lived that life for 16 years. There is nothing sexy about insurance in any regard. That being said, it is the ultimate lifestyle business. So before 22 year old, you know, you know, I won't, I won't curse on your podcast, but before 22 year olds were taking Insta bangers on the beach with their rented cars and a little umbrella, the guy that was actually living that life was an insurance agent. So the dude, two, two umbrellas down, who's in his fifties, who's actually living that life. That's the insurance agent, right? Like it's the ultimate lifestyle business. The problem is um, it just, it takes, like you said, five to seven years to build up a book that allows you to get to that point. Um, so, so no one wants to do that. No one wants to, you know, they'd rather read a, an ebook that tells them how to get rich in seven days rather than the seven years that it would take to actually get there. And that's a big part of the lesson that I learned while I was um, working for my father-in-law. Well, that's most people, right? I mean, the thing is in, in nature, most people want, you know, why do the second, second app, the seven second app when I can try to find the three second app, right? It's like, you want to try to figure out how you can do it faster and, and, you know, less work. And really what it comes down to, like anything you do in life, like you want to grind it out. Like once again, insurance was definitely something that was on my radar just because like I knew if I could grind that thing out for five to seven years, I knew what was on the end, but then I have to figure out like, would I be able to take that many punches in five to seven years? Cause it's literally, mm -hmm. I mean, it's, you know, you're, being told oh, no yeah. a lot more than being told yes i mean that's i look at it not to get into religion at all but you know it's like you have like mormons are great salespeople because for two years they go on a mission they're knocking on doors talking about religion like it can't be any harder than that. i think i think they're only the the ones that could be more difficult than insurance would be selling a religion to somebody that doesn't want to hear about it so that's you know but it's grinding that out it's knocking on those doors it's the alarm sales it's all this kind of stuff that like that is hard like that is hard business you're being slammed to the door people are yelling and cussing at you and everything else and it's like wow like but you learn how to work with people and how to deal with people and be able to how to evaluate people, which I think is extremely valuable. Yeah. The other thing that you have to learn is a belief in both yourself and in the product that you're selling. So the thing that's interesting about insurance is no one puts any value on it unless they've had a tremendous loss already. So if you've never experienced a tremendous loss, I'm not talking about a little fender bender, a couple hundred bucks. I'm talking about like half your house burns down and where are you going to come up with the $200,000 it's going to take, take to rebuild it? Well, it's not the 1800s. You're not, your, your community's not having a barn raising, right? The only institution that is going to walk up to your front door and go, here's a $200,000 check, go rebuild your house is an insurance company. Well, 
nobody one believes that that's ever going to happen, nor do they ever visualize that horrible incident happening to you. So as an insurance professional, you have to believe in the product, even though your client doesn't at all, which is a really interesting dilemma. Like how do you sell something that you believe in wholeheartedly? Otherwise you wouldn't be doing the work to someone who could literally care less. Like you, if you mess up, if an insurance professional messes up, you have, the opp- you have the opportunity to ruin someone's life because you didn't properly set their insurance program up. So it's a major, major decision that no one takes seriously and they don't actually want to involve themselves in. So what you learn is to have, um, you know, and, and, and I, didn't, I didn't understand this at the time. This is, I've kind of pulled these lessons out in hindsight, but like what you learn is to believe deeply and be committed to your product even when your customer is not. Um, and, and knowing what that value is, even if they don't understand it as well. And then the caveat to that is being able to sell it to them, even though they don't care. And um, that's, it's a tough thing to do. But uh, even though I don't work in the insurance industry anymore, um, those lessons have carried through. And, um, and to, today, it's obvious to me that that time, I feel like I have a competitive advantage in other industries because I spent so much time in the insurance industry. Yeah, I think so. I mean, that's, I touch, I used to have an alarm company that we used to do the sales and that's the reason why I know about that. And it was, you know, most of the time people get alarms only when they've already been broken into, right? You get a car alarm when you're like, Oh, somebody's already taken my system or done something. Okay. Now I understand that I need a car alarm. So that usually is the deal, right? We all want to be in denial until it hits us. And it's like, you know, a car alarm is one thing at three, 400 bucks, whatever the number is. Right. But it's another thing when your house burns down, that's right. That's a whole different level of like, wow, I can three or 400 bucks is not a problem, but Hey, 400,000. I don't think I have that saved. And if so, it was in my house that just burnt down. Right. So it's a lot, a lot of reality there. It sucks, but um, that's interesting. Yeah. I mean, it's cool that you kind of cut your teeth that way. I I was in early on in the mortgage industry making phone calls um, and I hated it. I mean, that's a tough one too. Absolutely hated it. And cause I was like, I hated it when I received those calls around six, when I'm trying to have dinner with my family, this is many moons ago. Um, But it absolutely helped me cut my teeth on, you know, psychology and people and how to work with people and Mm -hmm. how to talk to people. And so, you know, I think there's, there's some value in that. Same thing with my son. I'm telling like, Hey, he's like, ah, he went, he was like doing paint sales. This guy, this is terrible. This, that, and the other said, you know what, grind it out, just do it. And cause it's going to, you won't realize the value of this later on down the road because you just won't, you know, it's one of those things that's foundational. It'll, you'll be able to build upon it. And so anyways, it's, it's kind of interesting to kind of talk about backgrounds and kind of how it got us to where we're at today. So how big, like, so you're obviously in the same area and you like, sounds like you guys are very grounded there. Um, like how big was your family growing up? I came from a relatively small family. Um, my parents got divorced early. My father never had any more kids. My mom uh, remarried. So I have a sister. Um, it was always just, that was a very small, small town. Like the town that I grew up in, uh, I think had about 1100 people in it. Um, actually well known for being the third most polluted body of water in the state of New York for a long period of time. Um, that's, that's something to be known for, but, uh, yeah, small town. Couldn't wait to get out. Like one of my drivers in life. Um, and I think, I think, you know, part of the reason why my career was so meandering early on was because, I didn't really care. Like my goal wasn't to do or become a thing. It was to get out of the town that I lived in and never have to go back. Like, sure. I still go back to visit my mom. Like that's cool. But like, I never wanted to have to live there ever again. Like it was just, we used to say the criminals didn't steal in our town. They lived in our town and they went to other towns. Like that's like the kind of town that it was. It just, you know, it it isn't all right spot, but like 
it, it just was the kind of place that you couldn't wait to get out of. Um, you know, the middle of nowhere, five minutes from the Massachusetts border, um, just, you know, 45 minutes from anything, you know, it just, it just wasn't the kind of place that, that I wanted to ever go back to. So I didn't think I had a clear goal on how to get out. It just was like, I want to get out. So that's what forced, I shouldn't say forced me. That's maybe why, you know, some people come out of high school and they're like, this is the thing I want to be. I, I'm, they're like laser focused. That was certainly not, certainly not me. Um, and I think that had a lot to do with it. So you were like, I just want to get out of this town. Like that's my goal is, I don't care where it is. It's just, it's yeah. just outside of the town. That was the goal. Hey, yeah. it worked. You yeah. did it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's right. Another goal. Kind of. I mean, yeah. Not that far from it now, part. but yeah. <laughs> that's right. We're on the outskirts, but still you're outside of it. I mean, you didn't say how far outside, right? I mean, it's, it's, exactly. it's all good. That's too funny. Exactly. So which, and you said you went to what, Rochester University? University of Rochester, yep, which is right in downtown, right along the Genesee River, yep. Nice. And then what was like when, and what did you go to, and you went to school for, you said, was it finance? I ended up going to school um, and graduating with a uh, math degree, a degree in mathematics. So mm -hmm. technically I'm a, I don't, actually, I don't think I can say that I'm a mathematician because I have a BA, not a BS in math. Um, but, you know, my, my college experience, so I was the first one in my, in my family of, of, on either side to go to college. Uh, and, you know, when, the day that I told my mom I was going to college, she was like, oh, great. Like, what do we got to do? You know, there was no, there was no, it, you know, and, and nothing against my mom. My mom's amazing. Yeah. Just there wasn't that, like no one had ever yeah. done it before. So there was no yeah. um, expectation. Yeah. So um, uh, I was, I was a fairly decent high school athlete. And uh, I basically took a four hour radius from where I lived. I uh, made a list of every um, school that had a division three baseball team because I was a baseball player and um, I applied to every one of those schools that I thought there would be a program. I didn't even care what I went. I think I ended up applying for me uh, mechanical engineering at Rochester, but that lasted like one year. Um, and I realized real quickly, I didn't want to become a mechanical <laughs> engineer, but um, so I just applied to all the schools and I literally then sent a handwritten um, note to every one of the baseball coaches that basically said, you know, who I was, what I had done, some of the achievements that I had in my baseball career, what I was applying for, why I was applying to their school. And I finished it with whoever offers me the most money is where I'm going to go. And that was, that was how I made the decision. Like University of Rochester was great. It was a perfectly fine experience, but there was no part of that that was like, I can't wait to go here for this. It was literally yeah. when I got the financial aid package, I had to pay the least to go there um, versus every other school that I applied to, even state schools. And, um, for whatever reason, I don't even know why that was, but, um, that's, that's, that's literally how I made it my decision to go to college. Um, I wish it was like some, some, like they had the perfect program for this thing that I wanted to be, but it wasn't that it was, I wanted to get out of this town. College was my way out and I didn't have a ton of money. I also did not have the wherewithal to take on a ton of debt. So that's, I just leveraged that to try to find a way to, to pay for college and uh, it ended up working. I love that though. I mean, you like sent out a, a thing to the coach that, Hey, this is who I am. This is what I've done. And just, so you know, I would totally, totally go to university if you give me the most money. Yes. Like, I love like, I mean, why not? I mean, why not be more blunt? Like, it's like, this is, here's the deal. Like I couldn't come see you, but here's the deal. You guys have to give me as much cash as possible. And whoever gives me the most gets to actually see me in person. So yeah, love, Ryan. the interesting thing that most people don't understand about division three sports in particular, and um, is that everyone thinks division three sports can't give 
scholarships. Well, that is true in the very straightforward sense. There, there are not athletic scholarships, but every academic. school has all these slush fund academic scholarships, general scholarships, and depending on the school and the program and and if you know how important sports are to them or just where they you know each school also has different allocations for different departments that they just like to put out and um, they all have access to capital so they can, make it work. they can make it work and that's exactly what happened is i got a fairly substantial scholarship from this general slush scholarship fund which was literally just called on the finance document rochester scholarship that was it there was no description no explanation it was two words rochester scholarship and a dollar amount and um so i you know just for anyone listening for whatever it's worth if you are a good athlete but not obviously someone who's going to go play division one or, or pro ball but you still would love to make athletics part of your college career um, there are opportunities to get scholarships um from d3 schools it, it is possible that's what's funny. So my, my son kind of did the same thing. He was talking about playing uh, baseball in college. Um, didn't end up doing it, but it was, we did, we looked at the same thing. Like, they're like, listen, we don't do, you know, scholarships, like, like, you know, sports athletics scholarships, but there's other ways. Right. And that was kind of the undergoing thing was like, Hey, listen, if, if they want you enough, they'll figure out a way. Right. I mean, yeah. it comes down to the thing, like there's cash somewhere. Right. It's just, and it's all about how you, you know, it's the same money. It's just whatever you put the title to be. Right. And they, they kind of have these different things. And so it's kind of interesting. So how did that, what was your first job out of college? Like after you got out of college and, and you played some baseball, what was your first job? Yeah. So again, I, I, I would love to say, I don't have like this epic, these epic uh, experiences in my life. I, so I graduate like my, I guess I just kind of like survived mostly. So I, um, I had, I had a very, uh, I had a decision to make. I was either going to be good at school or I was going to play baseball, drink booze and chase women. And I chose the, the latter. Um, so it took me two extra classes at the university of Albany post graduation in May of 2003 for me to, for me to actually graduate. So I actually went back, came back home to Albany. I waited tables, I painted houses. I had like a bunch of jobs. And when I finally officially graduated in, um, December of 20, uh, 2003, um, I drove down to Washington, D.C., which is where a bunch of my buddies on the baseball team had been living. I had no job. I literally just threw all of my crap in the back of my pickup truck, uh, quit all three of my jobs on a Friday morning, got in the truck, drove down to D.C., lived, you know, lived in the living, we turned the living room into a bedroom. And, uh, and that's, you know, a couple weeks later, I found a job working for a finance company. It was a terrible job. Um, I hated every second of it. It basically was show up in your cube at 8.30 a.m., open up your laptop, work on a spreadsheet, do nonsensical work. It basically was like a state job. Like you just, yeah. you know, it was nonsensical work for eight hours and then Mind the whistle me. would blow. Everyone would close their laptops, stand up out of their gray cube and walk uh, home. Um, that that was my first, like, I guess you call it real job. Um, and I quickly... I quickly got out of that and joined a, a company called RSM McGladry, which is at the time it was the fifth largest accounting firm in the country. That was a very good company. I enjoyed working there. I didn't love the work. It was more, it was more spreadsheet work, but there was a little more kind of consulting aspect to it. I got involved in some larger projects, which were kind of fun. And that was a good experience. I did that for four years. Uh, again, didn't love it, knew it wasn't my future. So uh, <laughs> this is again, meandering, but um, I, during that time is when I met, uh, my wife. So she was living in Boston. I was living in um, DC and just 
we happened to, we were actually acquaintances in college, like never dated or anything, just acquaintances. And then we randomly, she's also from Albany, obviously. We randomly saw each other at, at the mall, the local mall. Like we we're both home for some, over the, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Bumped into each other, made the connection, uh, long-term, long-distance relationship. And this is where it gets back to the work story. But like, um, she basically gave me like a shit or get off the pot moment. She's like, I'm moving to New York City. You moved to New York City or we're not dating anymore. Like we're not doing this long distance thing anymore. So again, quit my job at RSM McGladry, drove to New York City, found an apartment, threw all my crap in that apartment and then started hoofing the street for jobs and ended up uh, landing something with American Express. And I just worked in general finance again for another two years before uh, we ultimately moved back to Albany. Well, we got some similar stories. My wife did the same thing. I, and maybe this happens. Maybe most men feel like this happened. My wife hit me with the shit or get off the pot. And the, the funny part, funny and sad part, she's going to be super excited that I'm telling the world about this story, is that we actually, like the day that she came to me and said, oh, I won't go into heavy what she was saying. But it was like, oh, I'm in love, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, okay. And she's like, so we got to like figure this out. I'm like, well, we're together. Like, what do we need to figure out? We literally, we literally that day broke up. Because I was like, I don't know what you're asking. Like, and it was so this weird thing. And then we got back together six months later. But it was funny. It was like, it was that. And I'm like, I feel like we're going in the right direction. Like, I'm not seeing anybody. Like, what's the problem? And, you know, there we go. So should I get off the pot? And so I was like, well, I, I guess I'll get off the pot. Which, you know, six months later, I was like, maybe I should have stayed on the pot. And yeah, I get so that. <laughs> We've all been there, right? So, and I, I actually graduated in 2003 as well. I took about, took me about 10 years to graduate from college only because, I was traveling and had my businesses and I had some other stuff, but I was never that, ex I mean, I wanted to finish college, but I was just, it was never number one on my list. It was like, I wanted to travel kind of like you. I mean, you went to some other cities and did some different things. You know, for me, it just wasn't, you know, hopefully if my son's listening to this, like, no, you need to finish in four years, my friend, but everybody else in the world, just go ahead and take 10. No, I'm just kidding. My son can take 10 years if he needs to. It's like, you know, everybody has their own, their own found their own journey, I guess. You know, that's a, that's an interesting perspective. I think, um, it's, it's funny that you would give the four-year advice to, to your son. Um, you know, I think I, I am, I, right now, I, 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 you know, we can go into it or not go into it. I'm, I'm fairly down on the standard American liberal arts education in general. Um, I don't know that it's necessary. I think the, the STEAM fields, um, science, technology, engineering, um, arts and mathematics, I think you need to go to college for if you're interested in those areas. Um, although if arts is debatable, but I think, I think understanding the history of art and, and where it came from can help you. But um, certainly the STEM fields, I'd throw STEAM in there because I heard it on a podcast the other day and it sounded, I, I liked the idea of that as well. But everything else, I think you can read a couple books and be perfectly fine. I get that you need to have the diploma for some jobs. And if your goal is to work on Wall Street, then you need to go get your master's and in, in, in your MBA and, and probably beyond that. That's just the way it is. But for most of life, I mean, one of the things that I, I feel like I have today that I didn't have at the time was I, no one ever taught me about entrepreneurship. Like it was never, yeah. I, I, it's, it's interesting. I was actually, um, for my own podcast, I was just having this conversation with uh, Brian Fanzo the other day, who I don't know if you know, but if you don't, you should have him on the show. Uh, yeah. Tremendous guy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so we were talking about um, just our journeys. And, you know, I said to him, like, I feel like when I was younger, I intrinsically, I intrinsically was drawn to entrepreneurship because we were broke constantly. You know, what I mean, we weren't poor, but we were broke. We were never, never had more than enough to get by. Um, and 
from that, I like I used to wake up at four o'clock in the morning every Thursday and I would walk the streets of my town at 10 years old and collect bottles out of people's recycling bins and I could make about 30 bucks a week put it then putting those bottles in. I did the sh- snow shoveling. I did, you know, all this stuff like, you know, that now Gary Vee is like made famous, right? Like baseball, you can't say I did baseball cards and, and you know, I mean, that's all, it's kind of cliche now, but like I did all that stuff. Yeah. And then I was kind of shown this path of if you go to college, you can get all this stuff you want. And I forgot, I, I started believing that literally working for an American Express or an RSM Agladry or one of these big, huge companies was the only way to get out. And for, for a long time, I mean, geez, if you really chop it up, probably a decade of my life, I lost any real belief that I had an entrepreneur inside me. And um, I, I feel like I cheated myself. You know, here I am like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm almost 40 and I'm just in the last few years have started to shift back to, you know, what I truly believe is like an entrepreneurial mindset. I uh, and, and kind of operating in that mentality. But for a long time, I just was playing the game and it never helped me get ahead. It wasn't until I stepped out of what I think you classically would assume is a career that I actually found my career and started to, to kind of make my own way. Um, so like I, I go back and forth this now, my, my children are younger. I have a, a five and a three-year-old, but, um, I've struggled. I've talked to my wife about it and we've, you know, we've struggled with like, if college is $50,000 a year minimum, I mean, if you want to go anywhere, like Rochester is almost $60,000 now. It was 25 when I went there, like $65,000 a year for the University of Rochester. I would not pay that. I would say that it is not worth going to that school for that amount of money. So I just, I really struggle with that idea. Like, I don't know. So no, I'm with you. So I, as much as I, you know, I tell my, I'm being facetious, like, Hey, son, you have to get done in four years. Like I literally told him like, it's however long you want. It's, it's different these days because the amount of resources that are online. I mean, I've talked about this in my past podcast. Like, I don't think it is a necessity. I don't think you absolutely have to go that route. Like I, I mean, I'm, I've actually thought about going back and getting my master's, but not because I need my master's in anything that I do just because I would have my master's. Like I, I use what I learned in college. And once again, I graduated in 2003, I use like 0.01% of it. And that might even be, it's probably me being very generous because that same thing at my college, like they didn't, they had one entrepreneurship class and I had already been an entrepreneur before, you know, I'd taken this class and everybody in the class was like, you know, oh, I want to do this and I just want to go own a restaurant so I can go golfing with my friends and all this stuff. Like these, these misnomers of like, hey, it's gonna be super easy. It's not gonna be a problem. Like, hey, you can go do this. And, you know, it, it, and really the universities out there, really your education is tailored towards working for somebody. That's what they do. It's like, hey, you got to go in and you got to jump and you got to work for Enterprise when you go work for the rental car company. You got to work for American Express. You got to work for something. And I'm not saying that's bad. Like that with some people, that's their natural course. Like for me, I knew that I wanted to have my own business because I had my own businesses before I even started college. Um, and I'd always done that. It's funny when you talk about like the collecting of cans. Like I remember I was maybe four or five years old and we were, I'm in California now, we were in Oregon, we were camping. Um, and I remember there was, we were going by somewhere and this guy was giving cans and they were giving him money. And I said, mom, what's going on? Like, what's going on there? She goes, oh, well they, you know, if you get cans, you get cash from them. I'm like, we're camping. Like there's cans everywhere. So I lost my mind. And like, when I started digging through garbage cans to go grab cans. And my mom's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm going to get the cash. Like there's like cash everywhere. Like there's, there's trash cans everywhere. So I, I literally spent my time going around collecting these cans 
went and, you know, cashed them in and they gave me my three bucks and I lost my marbles. I was like, this is the best thing ever. Like I, you know, my mom's a nurse. She's like, wear gloves, do this. And I'm like five years old, just grinding it out in this garbage can. Like raccoons are pissed off at me. Cause I'm like, you know, in there, they think I'm taking their food. I mean, that's, that was, you know, that was it. And I always kind of had that growing up was this, Hey, there's ways to make money, right? I had little lemonade stands and I had this little things that I was like, wow, this is really cool. In fact, even today, when I'm I just the other day, whenever I drive by any kid, I don't care what they're selling, what they're doing, I will buy lemonade. I will buy this. I will get a car wash because I think it's important to instill, like, hey, there there is other ways to make money, right? College is is one of those things. Like, I mean, yes, you can make more money if you go to college. I'm not saying this for everybody. Um, I would like for my son is going to college. And if he wants to get done in four years, great. If he could, I've told him literally, even though I said earlier, only four years, 10 years is cool, man. I just want you to like stay focused on what you want to stay focused on. But if you want to make money other ways, it's not the end all be all. Like it's not like you add, if you don't get a college education, you can't make money because you can. I know plenty of people that have made a, that have crushed it that didn't go to college, right? But it's, it's that old school mentality of like, you have to finish college, you know? Well, yeah, this, this is the caveat I will put on the diatribe that I had uh, was I still think college is a valuable experience. I think why we go to college, we have to have that in our head. Like, why are we going here? I think that um, if you're going there to build connections, if you're going there to learn how to learn, like I will say the one thing that I took away from college, I, I use zero of my math degree, to be honest with you, even basic arithmetic, uh, I struggle with at this point. But like, but um, I did learn how to learn. There's absolutely no doubt that in order, to, in order for them to give me a diploma, I had to learn how to learn. And that part of it, I, I, I will say I did take away. I also took away how to operate in various hierarchical systems, right? Like I was involved in many different organizations, a baseball team, a fraternity. I was also in the Supreme Court of the school. I was also involved in different academic associations, um, how to sell yourself to the opposite sex or just someone you're attracted to, how to operate in environments that, in, that include drugs and alcohol and still come out and be a, and be a you know, what kind of decisions are you going to make in those situations? How are you going to handle yourself? Like there are all kinds of really valuable takeaways from college that I think it's a useful experience. What, what I struggle with is I'm going to go to college for a liberal arts education and I'm going, that's going to, my life is going to be okay. That is I think that has been completely disconnected. Like those are not, those are not synonymous anymore. Like it's almost meaningless um, if you don't go with, with the right mentality, right? It's, it's why are you going? What are you doing? You should experience, you should have some crazy days. You should yeah. you know, use that time to quote unquote find yourself. I know those are fluffy ideas, but I think it's really important stuff. Like I lived life hard in college and today at 38, I have none of that wistful thinking of God, I wish I had done this or I wish I'd done that. Yeah. Like I got all that stuff out of my system. Like I, I lived a, a fairly fun and exciting existence for a few years. And as a adult with, with a wife and that I love and kids, like I don't feel that yearning to go do or, yeah. or, or, or chase something because I've, I've, I, I allowed myself to have those experiences. So yeah, I think, and I agree with you. I agree with you 100%. I think is it is important to go because it is a time to, you know, once again, explore yourself or find out what you like, what you don't like. And I think that is, that is very valuable, right? So you would not, you would not get that if you were to start a business. And I have friends once again that, you know, got married when they're 18 years old and they were like, Oh, now it's like, I wish I would have done this. I wish I would have done that. Like, Oh, this experience. And for me, I didn't graduate until from college till I was 30. 
And I did that for a reason, right? And even though many people were like, oh, you got to finish college. I'm like, well, but I'm going to go experience things and I can start a business and I can do this and I can provide for myself. And I did. And I did go back and finish just because that's what I wanted to do. But it, I mean, I went to, I think, five different colleges. Like I had enough units yeah. to like to probably help two people graduate. I mean, I had so many damn units, um, but it was also a great time. I learned how to business and traveling and culture and stuff. So I think there's, there's a lot to that. So let's, let's tie this all in. Like when we talk about like, you know, experiences in, in college and stuff like that. So you have, you have a, you're the CEO of what metabolic, right? Train metabolic. Yep. yep. So metabolic. How that, yeah. How did that come about? Like, cause I'm really intrigued by that because I, fitness has always been real heavy. I've always been heavy into fitness, um, boxing and CrossFit and this, that, and the other. And, and, um, minus an injury from about a year and a half ago, like I said, I'm a very active person. I mean, I walk, and run probably about almost about 10 miles a day right now. So I'm wow. you know, do that for, you know, I get up early and, you know, it's, but I also have an international team. So they're all remote. So it's, I can, you know, be on Slack and get stuff done, take calls other than I, other than breathing heavy on some of the calls, which I think is super awkward for people. Like, what are you doing? I'm just really excited about this call today. So I just breathe heavy into the microphone. They're like, oh, this is so, so weird that you breathe heavy into these sales calls. But, yeah. you know, they obviously know that I'm out and about, but like, tell us a little bit about metabolic and how you started that and kind of what the goal is there. Yeah, so I got to metabolic, um, like all things, a uh, little bit serendipitously. Uh, I, if I'm taking you forward from our previous things, I was a uh, boots on the ground producer for eight years. I really got heavy into the into the marketing aspect, so uh, of the business. Like I, I kind of got the sales piece underneath me, and then I got really into how do okay, how do I scale inbound opportunities? You had started this by saying most of your opportunities for your business are inbound. Yeah. So I had set up our our insurance agency and kind of flipped our model where traditional model for insurance is very outbound. I had flipped it to predominantly inbound and had kind of started to make a name for itself on the national insurance scene as an, an agent who could do that. That transitioned into, um, I kind of wanted to test myself, like do, that, doing it for a 14 person independent agency in upstate New York is cool, but I got the opportunity to take those same skills and apply them on a national level as a, a consultant and insurance technologist um, and actually had the opportunity to form my own brand as, as part of a, a sister brand to an already existing brand called uh, uh, Agency Nation. And I was the chief marketing officer of that company. Um, we, we grew that business. I did that for four years. We took that audience from a non-existent brand to over 500,000 unique visitors to that website inside the insurance industry. We put on an 850-person conference that was profitable. Like We did some really awesome stuff there. And, um, and I was very proud of that. Uh, eventually, you know, one of the things that, that I found to be really interesting and one of the things I like to talk about a lot with people is the, is like, um, uh, leader, leader, executive relations. So I kind of fell into a point where, um, I was a chief marketing officer, but I was very much operating my unit as the CEO. And some of it might've been lessons that I had to learn in terms of, Maybe I was overstepping my bounds, but I hit a point with the, the actual CEO of the of the overall enterprise in which uh, we started to fall. Like I didn't, his vision for what we should be doing and mine started to diverge, and that happens. Um, I'll take some of the blame for that for sure. Uh, I've learned a lot from that experience. Um, I then joined another insurance technology company, which wasn't really a good fit. But that whole time, I had been tr doing Metabolic as a client. Um, it's a local gym that started here in the Albany area by a guy by the name of Matt Phelps, who's now my partner. He actually sits like right there now. Uh, he's not here. I'm alone. But, um, and when it started, it was, when I joined, it was about 120 people. And I was like one of five guys and a, and a bunch of, a bunch of ladies. And we were doing this workout and it was, 
really interesting. It was a lot of body weight, a lot of strength, and the whole concept of metabolic training, you can Google this, uh, metabolic resistance training if you're looking for the official title. Um, the philosophy is strength at a pace. So every exercise has a load, but you're doing them in rapid succession. So it keeps your heart rate up. So you get the same cardiovascular impact on your body that you would as if you're running, except you're also strength training at the same time. So it allows to reduce your training time, reduce the impact on your body, and you're doing non-Olympic lifts. So you're doing very sustainable, safe lifts that can um, that, that create uh, consistency and functional mobility. So it's, it's a really, I won't go into the technical aspects of it because I don't have any kind of background in fitness. Um, these are more my, my CEO talking points. But, um, but I, what I will say is the workout actually uh, absolutely works. Over the course of that time, I lost 35 pounds. I kept it off. I, I, turned, I went from 35-year-old feeling like I was 45 to a 35-year-old feeling like I was 25 again. And I still feel that way today. Um, during that time period, I became friends with the founder and we st I just helped him with some marketing stuff. Just I love the business so much, right? Like you, and this is why I say there's serendipity. Like I took a lot of meetings with him and gave him a lot of advice that I think a lot of people, if they weren't thinking about, if they weren't coming from a mindset of abundance, which is something that I absolutely positively believe in, I think it, it's maybe used a little too much. So it sounds a little bit like a cliche, but I think about abundance almost daily, um, and, and how I can add to the world and not subtract. So I just was happy to help this guy who, uh, who, who I liked and I liked his business. And so, and over that time period, we got to know each other. He got to know me as a business professional. So, um, he also, uh, grew his business from 150 members to almost 3000 during that time. And, uh, he now has six locations and he wanted to grow nationally. Um, and what he said to me was, I am a gym guy. I'm not a business guy. I need a partner who is a business guy who can help me take this to the next level. And uh, I came in about eight months ago. That's my role. So um, we're going to put, uh, we're going to double the size of our business in the next eight months. We're going to put six new locations on by March. I'm hoping to put another six on in September. And uh, every March and September for the Seabull future, we'll be adding more and more locations. Um, all the locations will be corporately owned. So it's not a franchise. We're just rolling them out. Uh, it's a, it's a human centric business and you know, there's some really interesting marketing problems. So you take like some of our competitors, you're in, you're in California. So, you know, of orange theory, you, you probably know of F45, which is very big in California. Um, I'm not exactly sure where you are in particular, but if you're in any of the major metropolitan area, F45 is there too. I would say those are two businesses that you could um, compares to in terms of boutique, um, the consistency of what we're trying to do, the quality of the brand, the quality of the training. They're different training philosophies, um, but the the quality of the of the business presentation and the consistency of the presentation is 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 what we would like. So the major difference is um, their model is moving away from not completely, but away from a trainer centric model. So they're injecting technology in ways to scale their business to, to keep consistency, which absolutely positively makes sense to me. I'm not a anti-technologist or anything, um, but we are going the other way. So our product, you know, we don't use flashing lights or crazy colors. Um, you know, our model is based on the fact that our trainers are world-class. So there's no TV monitors, there's no gamification. We don't put heart rate monitors on you, although you can obviously wear one if you care. Um, 
It's all about our trainer's ability to deliver a individualized workout in a community setting. So you may be surrounded by 47 other people, but you feel like you're getting individualized, personalized training. And uh, there's a whole methodology to that, which I won't bore you with unless you care. But um, I, I believe so firmly in it that uh, it was worth it was worth moving out of an industry that I'd been in for 16 years to, um, or 15, whatever it was to, um, to, to move into a space that I don't know anybody in. So, uh, and it's been a lot of fun. Well, that's interesting. So I, God, we do have so many parallels. It's kind of funny. So I actually, myself, I had a business, this was God, maybe 10 years ago. Now I was probably about 30 pounds overweight as well. I was probably two, I think I got up to two thirty something. Um, and it was, once again, it was it, the premise of it is I was working 18 hours a day and it was just a crazy situation. And I, you know, started working out and started doing kind of the same thing, watching my caloric intake and then started working out and doing some stuff. Um, and it's, once again, it's, it changed my life as well. Right. I feel like I'm healthy now. I can do some stuff minus, like I said, other than this injury that I got, which is a whole nother conversation, um, getting better now, but it's just, it's interesting how it's like, if something like that changes your life and now it looks like you guys are looking to change other people's lives. Right. I mean, it's like when yeah. it comes into the training metabolic and people, people understand what the premise of that is exactly what you said, right? It's more cardio. We feel like you're doing cardio, but yet you're also doing strength training at the same time. And it's shorter workouts. You don't have to be in there for three hours and, and do, you know, crazy amounts. You don't have to spend half your day in the gym doing that. It's these short, like these, almost like these hit, right? It's almost like hit, like where you're like fast, fast, getting your stuff in high intensity type training. Yeah. Hits a four letter word here, but yes, I, I completely understand. It's the closest correlation unless you've actually done metabolic training. So it's, I'm just giving a hard time. It's completely yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, and I, I will say this, like what I found is, um, so I was a professional speaker for a long time. Um, you know, I did as many as like 45 keynotes in a year. So never as many as some of the really top-notch guys, but I was certainly, you know, that maybe that next level down. And, um, you know, I, 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 I gave up all of that because what I realized is that work was all, um, what I love is helping people feel better about themselves and be more comfortable with themselves and whatever shape that forms. I, I just, I love that. And I, I don't want them, God, I really struggle with, with like, I don't want to go into like the self-help I don't want to sell. I don't want to just want to, I don't say just because I, I don't think there's anything wrong with it, but like, I don't just want to like write books and sell e-courses. Like, I think that's great work and I love that work and I have no problem with it, but I kind of wanted to have something substantial behind it. Like I felt like I, I didn't earn the right to do that work yet because I had never done enough like physical in the real world stuff to warrant any advice that I would give in that space. Even though I would love to believe that at least I have some, some expertise so when I saw the opportunity um, and my work, even in insurance had gravitated away from like tactical insurance stuff into more like, how do you feel good about what you're doing? Because if you feel good about what you're doing, then you will deliver a better sales presentation. You'll be able to manage your people better. You'll be able to handle an angry customer phone call better if you feel better about yourself and what you're doing. So a lot of my work was about making insurance cool and, it, and we won't go into all that. And, and when I really started to realize that all of a sudden my writing, which if anyone is interested in, I do a ton of writing that doesn't directly relate to any of this, um, like any of the specific industries. It's more just general stuff um, at ryanhanley.com. You can find it there. But um, uh, I found it, man, it was all about this, you know, confidence and strength and, 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 and those words maybe weren't right there for me at the time. But when I got into this job, I was like, I was like, oh my God, I can take 
this, the kind of the psychological side, which is what I love personally, mirror it to the physical side, the, the, the diet and the health and just the physical activity and, and the community, I can marry all that together in one place. And uh, wouldn't, that be, wouldn't that be something pretty powerful and special? And, um, and I found that. I, I have a founder that I work incredibly well with, um, and he provides me with the freedom to talk about the things that I want to talk about personally that he knows are part of who I am because he knows on the backside that I'm going to push this business and, and, and do everything I can to make it successful. And that, that give and take is very, very special. Many, many, many founders, I don't think would allow a non-founding executive to have as much freedom as I'm able to have. And in return, I would like to believe that he gets 125% from me at all times. Yeah, that's awesome. And, and I think we talk about like that, like, because one of the things we're going to talk about is like the health of an organization. And I think the premise of that is probably is the foundation of, of a balance, right? Of, of having like, hey, I mean, the way I start my day, people go, I can't believe you walk 10 miles in a day like I did this morning. Well, but I get up at 5 a.m. And for me, that's great. It's great for stress. It's I can still get some work done. I can still do things, right? And, and I can still have conversations through my phone or sometimes I don't. Sometimes I'm not. I'm just listening to music or sometimes I listen to audible tapes or whatever that is. But it's time for me to start my day off right, right? Have that foundation. And I think that helps my organization because if I was stressed out every day, if I was eating crazy, I'm not saying I'm not eating crazy. I did say I'm working out. I'm not saying that I haven't stopped drinking beer to all my Irish people out there. I don't Please don't. I totally changed. No, I won't. Trust me. It's, it's like it's it's in, inside my whole generation. So I can't stop that, but I can walk more. So, um, so let's talk about that real quick. I just want to touch mm -hmm. about when we talk about like a healthy organization, obviously you, you know, be having balance and stuff like that. Why don't you touch on that a little bit? Like what, what is your definition of a healthy organization? Yeah. So um, I'm going to start by addressing your balance comment and I promise I will backdoor into healthy organization. Um, I, here's my thought on balance. I don't know that, consistent balance should be our goal. I think that balance should be something we find spread out over a long term. I think when we think about balance, we think about it um, in too short of a time period. Like we'll be like in a day, well, I didn't read today, so I'm out of balance. And it's like, mm, yeah, how many times did you read this month? Or how many times did you read this quarter? Or how many, how many walks did you take this quarter? I think too often we get we get a little messed up on the idea of balance because we think about it in these short little intervals. And really, I think balance is more about what our lives look like over a much broader period of time, maybe even a few years. I mean, there are six month, six month blocks of my life where I was so out of balance, it would be incredible. Yet, if you then take the next six months and, 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 and mash it against the previous, you'd be like, oh, everything's fine. And, yeah. and I think these are just, conversations we need to have with ourselves and with our spouse or any or our business partners so that you know we may go you may want to write a book you're going to go completely manic for a period of time but that's okay if once it's over you come back and maybe you give a little more and um and and i think so i think just the idea of balance is my one thing on balance because I, I do think it's a good term some people fight it i just think we need to expend extend the period of time and not give ourselves such a hard time like yeah. It, over a longer period of time, you want the trend line to be fairly even keel. You're gonna, it's gonna spike up and down all the way through. So, okay, that's my idea of balance. So, as far as a healthy organization, um, I kind of have a, my my belief structure is is a slight dichotomy. So, I'm a firm believer in hierarchies that you need a hierarchy structure. I'm a I'm a strong, staunch opponent 
to flat structures. I feel like they are the quickest way to feel really good about your failing organization. Um, that being said, I think, um, and, and the reason that I believe in hierarchies is because you need a hierarchy to get things done. In order to get things done, there has to be a clear sense of, of how an idea is passing through an organization, who is responsible for what, what gets done by which individuals. That being said, um, I do not think that we treat each other as if we operate as if we're in a hierarchy. And I certainly don't think ideas flow in a hierarchical structure. Just, I think you have to have a hierarchy in order to be a, um, in order to be fast moving, there needs to be a clear sense of what needs to get done where, and in order to not let things slip through the cracks, I think you need a hierarchy. That being said, I don't think the person quote unquote at the bottom of a hierarchy is any less valuable to an organization for the most part. Um, certainly their ideas are not less important and certainly they should be treated with the same amount of respect and trust and all that as anyone else. But um, so, so I think a healthy organization is an organization that has a, a solid, understood, well-communicated structure that, that also provides opportunities for um, for, for, for vertical idea flow, right? There needs to be flow throughout the organization. There needs to be cross-pollination. There needs to be conversations. There needs to be opportunities for people to mix and, and hey, I never knew that you did this. And well, what, have you ever thought about this idea? And we need to, we need to be willing to, um, we need to be willing to accept ideas from up and down the chain and throughout the organization. But I, at the same time, I also believe that the organization has to have solid flow. So um, when you have that, uh, that your culture isn't ping pong tables and you know uh, a lax schedule. Your culture is respect and communication and carrying through on the tasks that you have either decided to take on or have been passed down to you based on your role in that organization, and ultimately um, a clear and concise. Uh, um, communication culture. That's what I think. Cause there's always going to be problems. Someone's going to have a bad day and say something they shouldn't have said. You know what I mean? Like, I'm, I feel like right now we want to, we want to chastise or, or worse cancel someone because of something they said or did. And trust me, there are plenty of people doing things they shouldn't be doing in the world. I'm not making excuses for anybody, but I think we need to be slightly understanding. Um, uh, both ways. And we need to be very clear and concise in our communication. And if that's the case, we can work through most problems. Hey, I need a couple extra weeks for maternity leave. Here's why I need those things and what I'm willing to give in exchange for those things. No problem. Hey, I would like there to be, you know, this policy, which isn't, you know, normal in an organization such as this. And here's why I think I would like it. And then the, the people in a position to make those things happen need to be willing to accept those ideas understand them and hopefully put them into practice. But um, yeah, that's, that's probably a long winded way of answering that question. There's nothing concise about that answer. No, no, I know. I like what you're saying that in regards to a healthy organization. I mean, it talks about communication and being open and having that line. And I do think hierarchy, I do believe in that. And I do think sometimes and people feel like if you're at the bottom that you're not being heard. So I do think that, you know, if there's some way to make it so you have that open communication and ideas and stuff are, are warranted. And, you know, once again, not always perfect, but at least they can have those conversations. I don't think that's a bad thing at all. So what about, let's talk about, um, Let's talk about like the different, I mean, because we talked a little bit about your, your book, the content, uh, where, 
content warfare. warfare if I can yeah. say that out loud, that's, that's a tongue twister. Um, tell us a little bit about that book. Like what inspired you to write that book? Was that like your, you know, the things of, that you've done in the insurance industry and you kind of said, Hey, listen, I kind of got some good stuff here, some methodology that I should be showing the world or how did that come about? Yeah, I had, so content marketing was the vessel in which I grew my insurance practice, my personal book of business. And when I, I, I was operating on about $150 a month budget, I was driving anywhere between 90 and 120 inbound leads into my business. I was signing, uh, I was writing, I guess, in that industry, so writing about uh, 50% of them. So I was making an F ton of money. Um, the conversion rate was ridiculous and content marketing was literally every aspect of content marketing was, was exactly how I would, how I did it from the tactical stuff to the strategic, to the philosophical. I was a firm believer, um, and absolutely everything that content marketing was at that time. And I used those tools to grow my business. I shared my story. I was tactically relevant, all that kind of stuff. So, um, and in doing that work, I also felt because there were so many people in the insurance industry who were looking for something like that who hadn't had it, I started sharing those tactics and that's how my speaking career began. I was really a content marketing and communication speaker. Um, although brevity, it will never be one of my communication specialties. Um, so I, and so I also, so then I started a mass an audience and people wanted more and more of my time. And um, I said, okay, I'll put it all in a book. Uh, that being said, I did not want to go through the hassle of a traditional publisher at the time. So I crowdfunded that book. I raised um, just over $11,000 in 21 days. I used all that money to uh, both create the physical copies of the book that the people who had done the crowdfunding had uh, bought and also pay for, you know, like professional copy editing, story editing, cover design, interior design, all the things that go into actually making um, a a real self-published book. So I self-published that book, uh, released in, um, I want to say February of 2014. So it's a few years old now. Most of the stories are still relevant. There's probably a decent chunk in there that isn't anymore. Like I talk about Google plus, cause that was a thing back then. Um, and it was a really interesting experience. Crowdfunding was blew my mind. The ability to raise that amount of money in that few a days, um, and to be honest with you, I raised most of it. I, I raised like 8,000 of it in the first three days. And I just really didn't do that much work after then. Cause I was so close to my goal of 10 K that, uh, you know, I just had a couple of planned things that I did after that, but that would, that was really, really interesting. It showed me the power of a community and what having a community can do for for your business. Um, and I've sold uh, probably 2,500 plus copies of that book, um, over the course of the years. I mean, uh, I also had a full-time job. I was a CMO of a company. So, and, and they weren't particularly keen on like pushing that book super hard. Yeah. So that was a little bit of tension there. Um, so there was this weird, I have to kind of push this in my free time kind of thing. So, uh, but yeah, no, that was a, a really, that was an incredible experience. And um, I don't know that I would self-publish if I were to write another book today. I still believe in self-publishing, but having done it once, I would probably want today to try to go a traditional publishing route just to experience that. Um, and then I would always go back to self-publishing. I think self-publishing is tremendous. You, you have to do it right and you're held to a higher standard, um, which is tough. Um, even though, you know, you could line up a self-published book next to a traditionally published book, the self-published book has to be of higher quality than the traditionally published book in order to gain any traction, which I think is unfair, but 
kind of reality today. I'm hoping that continues to change. But, um, but yeah, it was, a, it was an awesome experience. Yeah, well, you've got a great, great foundation now. So, I mean, if you want to get up with a, a bigger publisher, or get on with a publisher, I don't think it'll be too difficult. So, well, we're getting, we're getting to the end of this podcast, but it's, this has absolutely been awesome. But I'm, I'm going to get into some, some real personal questions here. So, mm -hmm. I'm glad you're sitting down on this podcast. So, uh, if you could have one superpower, what would that superpower be? So, when you sent me this question, I thought about this a lot. Um, <laughs> I, I tell you, mine is probably not that interesting. Um, I would love to be able to read faster. Like, I truly believe that power comes from knowledge. And, you know, like, it would be cool to say, I'd love to be able to fly. But then the first time I catch a bird strike, like, I'm gonna be super pissed. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't know that I would want that. Um, I just, if I could read, like, 10x faster than I can, and I could just plow through books, like right now, I'm trying to get through um, uh, Robert Greene's Mastery. And it's just like, oh, my, it's so good. But it is like, 10 font on pages this big <laughs> it's just it's a beast to get through um uh if i could read faster that would be a tremendous superpower do you listen do you read books or do you actually listen to audible i can't oh i wish that i could take in the information through audible the same way i can if i read and i just can't i'm like i i i destroy books i dog ear them i put tags in them i underline them i write notes so like I gave my copy of Jordan Peterson's 12 rules for life, which I think is the best book. I think it was written in 2018 is when he published it. It's absolutely tremendous life-changing book um, for me personally. Um, and I gave that to somebody and he was like, this book's not fun. Like I see, I, you know, I can't come to any of my own conclusions because you've <laughs> literally written in it like a textbook. Cause to me, that's, that's what they are. Like, well, well-written books are, are textbooks. They're textbooks for your life. They're, I go back and I reference like, you know, I, I, I just, I reference a lot of books. I have a whole bookshelf. I reference books constantly. Like it's not just for vanity. Um, maybe some of them are for vanity. I actually starting to think Robert Greene's mastery is for vanity because it's just so dense. I don't know how I'm ever going to get through it, but, uh, um, uh, you know, I truly find them to be textbooks for my life. I, 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 I constantly reference my favorite authors. I'm rereading. Um, I've reread, um, I reread last month. I reread, uh, the subtle, not subtle art of not giving an F, um, by, yeah. um, uh, Mike Manson or yeah. whatever. Um, Mark, Mark Manson, yeah, I have, it, whatever, it doesn't matter. But uh, read, read that last month, this re month I'm rereading um, Purple Cow by Seth Godin, right? Like you can plow through that book in a couple of days, like it's, it's no problem. But the idea is like, I just want to refresh the ideas because the core philosophies, I actually reread Seth Godin's The Dip six months ago because I felt that coming on. I was worried about that in our business right here that we, I didn't want us to plateau and I wanted to think through that. Yeah. So that that's a textbook for my marketing life, right? I go in, bam. I plow through it. I, I look for my highlights. So it's not like I'm reading the whole book word for word. I'm kind of getting to the core principles that I had pulled out earlier. It allows me to completely refresh my brain and bam, now I feel like I just read it for the first time again and I'm putting the information into use. So um, yeah. That's the way to do it, man. It's funny. So I, I, my, my ultimate goal or my, what I thought was going to be my ultimate goal was to listen to audible tapes and actually buy the book and highlight it as we as i go through it like so in other words somebody would read it to me and i would just go through and it's just it never worked out like i i have all these books that i've never even read i mean i listen to an audibly right and, and i go and 
but I, and now I take notes with my phone and do some stuff. But yeah, that was kind of, I, I've got to come up with a little bit of a better system. I actually quit reading books or quit listening to books just a few months ago. And so it's actually something that I've kind of talked about jumping back into, especially with, I just wrote down the 12 rules of life. I'm going to probably check that one out as well. Oh, so, dude, do it. Uh, Let me know what you think. That, that was a life-changing book for me. Okay. That's awesome. Well, man, Ryan, this has been awesome, man. Like I said, you got a, you got a great energy about you. And if anybody needed to get in contact with you, I mean, obviously I know you guys have the, it's what train metabolic, right.com. If you go to, if you're interested in the fitness side of my life and everything I'm doing there, go to train metabolic.com. You can learn all about us. Unfortunately, unless you're in upstate New York, it would be hard for you to find one of our gyms today. Hopefully that will not be true in a few years. Um, if you're interested in, in just my work or me individually, you go to ryanhanley.com. Um, you can find just about anything there. I'm also the, probably the best social network is either Twitter or the gram. I'm Ryan Hanley underscore com on Twitter and Ryan underscore Hanley on Instagram. None of my handles are the same. I'm like the worst brander ever. But uh, <laughs> yeah, you can find me on all the socials and uh, happy to answer questions or just connect or just, you know, I love to chat about this stuff. So it's been my pleasure to be on here, man. Yeah, man. Thank you for, uh, thanks for coming on, buddy. It was, it's been awesome. And you guys, if you guys uh, like listening to this podcast, you guys want to hear more, make sure you subscribe to the podcast. We have more guests on like Ryan and Ryan, once again, man, thanks again for being on the show, but we'll be talking with you here soon. Thanks so much. Well, thanks brother.